Our text this morning is Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but we had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of our ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is in the head, who is the head unto Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When we when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to your word, we pray that you would reveal yourself through it, that we would indeed grow, that we would indeed be equipped to do the work of the ministry. And... um, We pray that you would reveal in us what we need to change if we need to change something. We pray that you would encourage us if we need to be encouraged and exhort us into greater faithfulness and obedience to our calling as your people. And Father, we we each sit together under your word now. So speak, have your way, and may we respond with hearts that are eager to obey what we hear. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, We are in the middle of this short little three-week series on the church. Last week we talked about the identity of the church by looking at Ephesians 2, and this week we're in Ephesians 4, and we're going to discuss the life of the church. Next week we're going to finish the series by considering the mission of the church, and then after that we're going to get back to our normal practice of walking through Bible books uh, verse by verse by looking at the book of Daniel. So we'll start that on September 8th. Um, but for now, we're going to continue our, our series just, just to see who are we as God's people and what should we be doing as God's people. Um, now, let me ask you a question to start. And if you have something to write with, I want to encourage you to uh, jot down a few things here. There's uh, the liturgy guide that you, that you received when you came in. It has a couple places where you can take notes. Um, but I do have a question that I want to ask that isn't totally rhetorical. I'm not expecting answers from the crowd, but uh, I do want to encourage you to write down an answer, if, if you would. 
Um, this past Wednesday night, we, we asked a question. We're, we're walking through the Apostles' Creed and, and other doctrinal um, uh, confessions of, of our faith to see uh, who we are theologically as a church. And we started with a question, if someone who knows very little about Christianity or is very confused about Christianity asked you, what do Christians believe, how would you answer? And, you know, was, we were really careful with it because we said they're, they're not asking what Baptists believe or what Protestants believe. They're asking what Christians believe. And so we just, we started with that, you know, where would you begin? Uh, this morning, I want to ask you a question, though. Um, as we consider what life in the local church should look like, think about this situation. You meet someone in Tupelo, and believe me, these kinds of people are in Tupelo who are not familiar with the church. They don't know what the church does, they don't know what the church is, but they know that you go to church, and they're genuinely curious. And so, you know, they don't know anything about Christianity, very little, and their understanding of the church is that they have even, you know, smaller knowledge of the church. And they ask you, so what does your church do? What does your church do? How would you answer that? How would you answer that question? And so, okay, maybe you, maybe you come back with, well, you know, we have these ministries, and they're like, what's a ministry? So you realize really early in the conversation, my jargon is not going to help me right now, okay? I, I can't use the jargon. They don't even know what a ministry is. What would you say? They're looking for big picture answers. What, what does the church do? You know, are you guys like the United Way? Are you guys like the Salvation Army? I, I, don't, I don't understand how you all are different. You like do good things in the community. What, what do you do? How, how are you different from, you know, other religions in, in what you do? I mean, all religion is basically the same, right? You guys, you know, worship a deity? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. What do you do? How would you answer? Like fundamentally, philosophically, big picture, like in a sentence even. Well, here's what we do. Here's what we're striving to do every single week. Um, here's the scary and necessary question that we as elders and we as a church need to ask in light of that question. Does the answer to that question, what do you do as a church? Does the answer to that question reflect what God actually calls us to do as a church? Or are we off base? If, if your answer to the question, what do you do as a church, does not mirror what Scripture says the church should be doing, we have a problem. So another way to ask it, are our actions as a church, our activities as a church, falling in line with what God created the church to do? Um, last, week we asked the, or last week we stated who we are as a church determines what we do as a church. Who we are determines what we do. And so that's why we, we dug deep in Ephesians 2 to discover our identity, who we are. It directly determines what we do. The flip side is equally true. What we do as a church tells a story about who we think we are as a church. Our ministries, our activities, our actions, our plans, it reflects who we think we are. And we need to do the work of digging to see is who we think we are lining up with who God says we are and is what we're doing lining up with what God says we should do. 
Um, before we dig into Ephesians 4 then, I want to remind you of a couple big truths that we talked about last week. First, reminder number one, our identity. Last week in Ephesians 2, and we could have went to a number of places in Scripture, but Ephesians 2 is so rich when it comes to the identity of the church. We said that we are first a reconciled people. We are a reconciled people, both to God and to one another. Second, we are a new people. We are newly created people. Third, we are citizens of God's kingdom. Fourth, we are members of God's family. And then the last thing we saw, which, which really kicks us off well into Ephesians 4, we are growing into a dwelling place for God. We are growing into a dwelling place for God. And in verse 21 of Ephesians 2, Paul writes, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is something that is continuing, a work that continues, but that's who we are at our core. And so what we said last week, just so we don't get disillusioned, expecting the church to be a perfect place, at our core in this life, we are imperfect and we are growing all right so that's reminder number one our identity reminder number two then the basis of our identity how are we a reconciled people how are we a newly created people how are we citizens of this kingdom of god how did we become members of god's family and how are we going to grow and and paul outlined it for us he gave us two things he said first that christ is our cornerstone he is the peacemaker it is by his blood that we who were far are brought near it is jesus in his person and his work who he is and what he has done for us that is the basis of who we are as not just individual christians but as a church we are who we are because of what jesus has done for us in his life death and resurrection and, but then from there, he also says that the scriptures are our foundation as a church. So the basis of our identity is Christ is the cornerstone. He did something, but then God said something. So he said in um, Ephesians 2, uh, 19 and 20, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And so the testimony and the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, it forms this basis by which we get our identity coupled with the fact that Jesus is the cornerstone. So the conclusion we, we drew last week was everything we do as a church must be centered on what Christ has done and directed by what God has said. So we look to two places when it comes to deciding what we're supposed to do as a church. We look to Jesus and what he's done for us and the overflow of the gospel empowers us to do the work he's called us to do. And then we look to the scriptures and we say, what has God said that his church should do? And then we base everything we do on those two realities. So in other words, to sum it up, what we, what we said last week was that the gospel should be in the driver's seat of everything we do as a church. It's the gospel that's driving every single ministry. So we're gonna really dig into that this week. In light of who we are, what should we be doing? The next time someone asks you, what does your church do? Can you give them a better answer than, well, we have a kids ministry and we have a youth ministry and we, we have Wednesday night equipping classes and well, we do this thing called life groups. You know, we don't do Sunday school. We do life groups. I mean, is, can we say any, anything more than that? Because you know people who have no idea what you're talking about. They're like, well, why do you do all of those things that I have, I have no idea what they are, first of all, but why do you do those things? What are we actually trying to accomplish through them? I think Paul gives us a pretty clear answer in Ephesians 4. So Ephesians 4, um, 
Paul calls us to do two things. I'm going to summarize it in, in two actions. He calls us to walk together, and he calls us to work together. He calls us to walk together toward unity through Christ, and then he calls us to work together toward maturity in Christ. So the passage divides pretty neatly there, verses 1 through 6, and then verses 7 through 16. Let's look at verses 1 through 6 again. I'm going to read them again, and uh, we'll, we'll discuss why we need to be walking toward unity. All right, verse 1. Paul writes, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So what Paul tells us here is, as a unified, reconciled people, we are called to walk together fulfilling our calling as this redeemed and reconciled people by walking together toward unity through Christ. We are called to walk out our identity as a reconciled people. We are a people who have been reconciled to God through the blood of Christ. We were alienated from God. We were separated from God. And through the blood of Jesus, we are reconciled. And Jesus is our peacemaker. He has made peace between us and God. So we are united with him through faith. But not just the vertical direction and the horizontal direction with our relationships here. All the things that would separate us cannot overcome the work of Christ on our behalf. So he unites those of us who would otherwise never be together in the same place at the same time. He brings us together by his blood. So we have unity with God. We're not working toward it. We have it. It's something that he has done for us and we possess it. And we're to walk in it. And even though this one's maybe a little bit harder for you to see, we actually already have unity with one another, okay? This isn't something that we're called to create. You see what he says in verse three? He says, you know, back to verse one, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Verse three, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He doesn't call us to create unity, Okay, if I'm creating a group that's going to be unified, I need to have something that's at the center by which we can all be unified around, all right? And when you look across this room, there are so many people from different places and different backgrounds with different stories. There's so much more diversity than, than uniformity in this room. And yet, through the blood of Jesus, we are unified. We have Unity. So what we're called to do is not to create unity by our own cunning and our own ideas. We are called to maintain the unity that has been created by Jesus. And then he tells us how to maintain it. So Jesus created unity for us. And then he says, you need to maintain unity in two ways. First, through the character, through having character like Jesus having character like Jesus. So in verse two, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of peace in the bond, or uh, unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So as a united people in and under the blood of Jesus, how are we supposed to walk together in unity when 
there is so much diversity. I'm just, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, uh, cultural diversity necessarily, or even socioeconomic diversity, even just diversity of thought, diversity of desires, diversity of preferences for a local church. How can we, who are so different, walk together toward one common goal? How can we be together and be for one another and be united as one body? Not, not, as, not as separate body parts, one body with different members of that body working together for the same purpose. How can we do it? We have to embrace and walk in the character of Jesus. So he gives us examples. First, through humility. Through humility. If you want to maintain unity in this body, you have to approach one another in a spirit of humility. You know, I, I love how Tim Keller defines humility and talks about it. He says that, that gospel humility is not thinking too much of myself or thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. So whenever unity is challenged through conflict or confrontation, you and I always have a choice. We have a choice to maintain unity or to allow the division to conquer. All right? Now, if you want division to spread in this church, just don't be humble, okay? When, when you're in a conflict with someone else in this church, all you have to do, and it, believe me, it's gonna come very naturally to you. It's really easy to do. All you have to do is keep pointing out what the other person has done. And you can meet with someone else and say, you have no idea how much this person hurt me. And you can take something that could be a path toward healing and abuse it and only talk about what the other person has done. This is how they hurt me. This is what they did. Humility looks, takes a look in the mirror. Humility looks within our own hearts and we say, what have I done? What have I done, if anything, to create or to cause further division between me and this other person? Humility looks within. Humility doesn't care about our own reputations. Humility cares about maintaining unity and doing what it takes to reconcile. Why? Because we are a reconciled people. Because we are a unified people in the blood of Jesus. So we're called to walk in the humility that maintains it. Okay, so then he says, you maintain unity through gentleness. All right, so as you're looking at yourself, if you have a conflict with someone else in this church, you're looking at yourself and you're like, okay, well, this is... This is how I have wronged this person. I want to own that. But they genuinely have wronged me too. They genuinely have wronged me too. And you want to confront someone with that. If you want to keep division going, attack them with it. Come strong. Yell. Shout. Send a text message in all caps. You've seen those? You know, the all cap messages or tweets. It's like, why are you screaming at me through my computer? No, we're to approach one another in a spirit of gentleness. And that's how we care for one another. When, when you approach someone with gentleness, you'll maintain unity. Okay, but then he also says through patience. Be patient with one another. Understanding that everyone doesn't heal in the same pace and all relationships aren't reconciled at the same pace or rate. And sometimes it just takes time. If you look across our faith family and you're like, we're, I don't sense any community. I, I don't feel like we're together on this or that. And you're, you're tempted to just throw in the towel and, and find it somewhere else. You're missing the point. 
This is a high calling to which we have been called to maintain the unity that we have in Jesus. And there's a lot of sin in this place because there are a lot of sinners in this place. So in order to maintain unity, sometimes we just need to wait. We need to wait. You had a conversation with someone trying to reconcile a relationship, didn't go the way you thought it should go, wait. Wait and pray and trust the Lord because his desire for this church is for us to be united and together. Okay, so patience. And then finally, the last one that my wife knows all too well, bear with one another, okay? That means you put up with one another. And, you know, the more I think about it, if I had to put up with myself on a daily basis, I don't know that I could stand it, okay? And my wife puts up with me every single day, every day. That's what we're called to as a faith family, right? To put up with one another. You know, sometimes I'm going to do something that's going to drive you up a wall. I'm going to get on your nerves. And if you're in my life group, I'm probably going to get on your nerves more frequently than anyone else here, okay? So you're going to be sanctified more than anybody else here by being in my life group, okay? But that's what we do. That's what we do. We are, what? A family. All right? We are a family. And what does family do? We put up with one another and the annoyances and even the sin. We bear with one another and we don't give up on one another. What's the church called to do? Maintain unity. Walk together down this hard, beaten path toward unity. We do it together. We do it through the character of Jesus, but then not just the character of Jesus. We maintain unity through the confession of what Jesus has done. Look, look at verse four. You know, like I said, on Wednesday nights, we're looking at some of uh, Christianity's oldest creeds and confessions, and a lot of people think that, that when Paul wrote this, that the early church used this as, as sort of like a creed, uh, something where we confess our faith together. Verse 4, it says, he's just given the, the justification for why we're supposed to maintain unity. He says, you maintain unity because there is one body, one church. There is one, the, the church at Trace Cross, and we are one. All right, we are not divided in who we are and what we do. We are one. We are together. And then he says, there's, so there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. So if, you, if you're ever tempted to think, I have nothing in common with these people. I have nothing in common with them. Uh, I don't know why I'm here. I'd love to just go somewhere where all my, my friends are. This is what you have in common with your worst enemy in this room. Your worst enemy in this room who's in Christ. Someone you're just not, you're not, you know, in a good relationship. You're not on good terms with right now. Everyone in this room who's in Christ, you're in one body, one church. Even if you're not a member of the church at Trace Crossing, if you are here and you're in Christ today, you are our brother, you are our sister because of what Jesus has done. There is one spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit that equips us to walk together in unity, that equips me to do that, equips you to do that, equips him to do that, equips her to do that. One spirit that we are calling on to help build us up together. There is one hope, that hope we sang about, about Christ's return. We all have that hope if we're in Christ, that one single hope. 
one Lord to whom we're submitting. Jesus is Lord. Jesus died to purchase this church, and he is the one Lord over everyone in this room. Okay? And one faith. One baptism. That's, what I, that's why I love uh, always explaining to you why baptism is important, not just for the person being baptized, but for everybody else in the room. Baptism is a person's identification with Christ and his church. And every single time that we see someone get baptized, it is a means of grace to us to continue walking in the new life that we've been called to walk in. And even though we might not have anything else in common with the person going under the water and coming back up because we don't sprinkle, because that's wrong. Sorry, just kidding. Um, When they come out of the water and we see that, even if we don't have anything else in common with that person, they are now identifying themselves with us because of what Christ has done in them. So we are one. And there is one God and there is one Father. We are a family, we are brothers and sisters, and there is one Father over us. So for all the reasons we have to be divided, there is a greater reason for us to be together and united, and it is what Jesus has done for us. So what are we called to do as a church? We're called to walk together toward unity through what Jesus has done for us. Walk together toward unity. Okay, but then the second thing we're called to do. So we're called to walk together toward unity, but we're also called to work together for maturity in Christ. Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And then verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Boy, that was a long sentence. Um, I always think that when I read that passage, such a long sentence. All right, we'll stop at verse 14 since I uh, interrupted myself. Um, we're called to work together, okay? We're not, we're not just called to walk together toward unity. We are called to work together toward and for maturity in Christ. God calls his church to equip and to build one another up until we all reach maturity. Um, I hope you notice that in verse 13. So he says, you know, he gave, he gave these different people to the church, these different leaders to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. For what purpose? Until we all. You see that? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are working to grow up spiritually, okay? That's, that's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to do every single week in every single ministry, to work together to grow up, to spiritually develop. 
until we all reach maturity. No one's left behind in this. We do this together as we're pursuing unity and as we're working together. The goal is for every single church member to reach maturity. All of us together. And we don't stop until we all attain it. Um, you know, I, Erica, you know, she studied, studied special ed in, in college and she's all the time just doing research and looking at different studies. And she shared something with me a few months ago that, that I thought of as I was reading this passage. Um, she read this study where they, they looked at two three-year-olds or four-year-olds and they were in two completely different environments. Uh, one of them was in a very nurturing, loving home. And the other three-year-old, the other four-year-old was, was in a home where they were neglected. Um, they, they weren't cared for physically or emotionally. And they did this brain scan on, on both of the kids. And the child who had been nourished, the child who had been cared for, um, had been loved. His brain had developed as it should. It had grown. And the child who had been neglected, that child's brain was smaller. Okay? It, it, genetic factors were not at play there. By being nurtured in a loving community, in a loving environment, environment this one kid developed as, as, he, as he or she, you don't know if it's a boy or girl, he or she should have. And the other child was stalled, was, was delayed because they were not cared for, because they were not nurtured. Um, I, so anytime a person doesn't develop physically, it's a sign of a health issue of some kind. It could be a genetic issue, but something's not right when it, whenever a person doesn't physically or emotionally develop. And it may be an, an outside factor, it might be an inside factor, but, but something's off. And the same is true for the body of Christ. If we don't grow up and develop spiritually, it's a sign of a disease. It's the sign of a problem within the church. If our church isn't growing, then there's neglect of some kind. It could be personally, it could be corporately. But we are working toward maturity for every single member here. And when we stop working toward that end and we just show up to show up or we forget our purpose and we don't know why we're here, not only will your growth be stifled, but mine will. The body as a whole grows or delays together. So, so think about that. If, if you're not growing as a Christian, not only is your spiritual development hindered, but the spiritual development of your brothers and sisters in this church is hindered as well. Now, what does maturity in Christ involve? If, if we look at verses 13 through 16, maturity in Christ involves our head, our heart, and our hands. So maturity in Christ involves growing in truth, our, our heads, it involves our heads. So look at verses 13 and 14. He says, Equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried, out by, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So part of maturity in Christ involves growing in our theological understanding of who God is and what he has done. It's one reason why we have equipping classes. 
We want you to grow in your knowledge of the word. We want you to grow in your understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done. Growing in maturity involves our minds. It, it, it involves increasing in our knowledge of, of who Jesus is and what he has done. But it also involves our hearts growing in love for one another. So if you, if you want to do a little diagnostic test of yourself to see if you're growing toward maturity or if you've been delayed, is, is your mind growing in the knowledge of the Son of God? And secondly, are you growing in love? Look at verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the, whole, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. As we are growing up together, we should be growing up in love for one another. So our maturity will be stalled. We will not reach the, the state of completion that is the goal of our work together if we're only emphasizing the head, if we're only growing in our knowledge of the Bible. And that's why in life group, we, we emphasize every week to life group leaders, we don't want the sermon re-preached or re-taught, and we don't only want to focus on our minds We want to develop a culture where we are able to practically love one another. We believe that happens in life group, or it's one of the best places in our church for it to happen. But if you're growing in maturity, you should be growing in love for one another. But maturity also involves our hands. So it involves growing in character. And this is where conformity to Christ comes into play. Um, Verse 13 says again, The goal is until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Well, what does mature manhood look like? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are called to look like Jesus, not only in what we believe, not only in how we love one another, but in our actions, in our character. Our character should be developing in a Christward direction. We should be looking more and more like Christ, not only as individuals, but as a corporate body in how we act here among one another and in the world. So maturity involves our head, we grow in truth. It involves our heart, we grow in love, and it involves our hands, we grow in our Christ-like character. So now, If we're working together toward maturity in Christ, I think the church has done a great job of putting that responsibility on pastors. Okay, it's the pastor's responsibility to make sure that the congregation, every single member, is growing up and is being built up in love and to make sure that the pastors are there to lead the congregation to look more and more like Jesus. But Paul doesn't give us that that out. And so we're gonna ask the question, who's supposed to do this work? Who's supposed to do the work of building up and equipping and growing toward maturity? He gives us two answers, okay? So in verses 11 and 12, Paul writes, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Okay. Um, The church is equipped and built first through the work of called and qualified leaders, all right? So if you're thinking to yourself, it's the pastor's responsibility to do the work of the ministry, it's the pastor's responsibility to equip us, it's the pastor's responsibility uh, to ensure that all are reaching maturity in Christ, you are correct. You are correct. 
Pastors are responsible for that. So the church is equipped and built through the work of called and qualified leaders. And even though deacons are not mentioned in this list, uh, what we can say about the church is that we believe that there are two offices that are given to church leadership, elders and deacons. Elders are called to lead out in shepherding, in teaching, and in oversight. And, And I wrote that very carefully. So elders are called to lead out in that. Here's what that means. Elders aren't the only ones who are called to shepherd. Okay? Every time you call and check in on a fellow church member, you know what you're doing? You're shepherding them. Um, elders are called to lead out in teaching. Guess what? Some of you, some of you, the Lord has gifted to teach. You have to wait until you're an elder or in order to teach? No. No, the Lord wants you to use your gift to teach. We, we have... We have someone teaching an equipping class right now who's not an elder. We have someone who's going to be teaching an equipping class in the next eight-week series who's not an elder. They have the gift of teaching, though. So it's not only elders that are supposed to teach, but elders are called to lead out in teaching the congregation and oversight. We're called to, uh, elders are called to oversee the direction, the vision of the church. And then we have deacons. Okay, so God has given the church deacons to lead out in service. That doesn't mean that only deacons serve. Okay, but deacons are the qualified men and women who are called to serve the church and to lead out in service. And so we have deacons and deaconesses here at Trace Crossing who lead out in specific areas, deacon, deacons of uh, the ordinances, deacons of greeting. We have deacons of finance, missions, benevolence, any area of service. And I would love for the future to see every single big area of service for us to have a deacon who is leading that team. But so the Lord has given us elders and deacons to lead out in equipping and building up the church. But you're not off the hook. All right? So look at verse 12. It says, in verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry or to prepare the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. And then look at verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. So if you're following Paul's illustration here, every single church member is a part of Christ's body. And he says here, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If you want to see this church grow, you have to do your part. So the church is not just equipped and built through the work of of leaders. The church is equipped and built through the work of spiritually gifted members. Every church member is gifted by God and is responsible to steward those gifts for the health and growth of the whole body. So here's what Paul's telling you. And here's what I'm telling you this morning. Every single church member matters to the growth and the health of the church. Now, you may recognize, I know I'm a part of Christ's body, but I'm definitely the appendix 
okay? I'm, I'm, defini- I'm definitely the most useless part of Christ's body, all right? I, I, I can't contribute anything. I look across all the ministries of the church. I can't do anything. I, I, I don't connect very well. I'm so introverted. I'm so socially awkward. I'm just, I dread conversation. What do I bring to the table? I'm, I'm useless. And, you know... <laughs> First of all, if your only purpose here is to cause problems, then, then maybe you are the appendix, and we can just get you out, okay? So um, we can do that. You can join some other body somewhere else. Um, no, no. We can't reach unity or maturity unless we each work toward it. If you've given up on your role in this church, we're not going to be as healthy as we can be. We're not going to grow as we should. We're not going to be built up. We're not going to be able to fulfill what God's called us to do if any of you give up on your personal responsibility to use your gifts for the building up of this church. So you may feel useless. You may feel like you don't matter. But by definition, at your core, because you are a member of this body, you are crucial to its growth. We can't grow together. We, the elders can be functioning perfectly. We can have life group leaders that are doing a phenomenal job. But if you abandon and abdicate your responsibility to use your gifts to build up this body, we won't be as healthy as we could be. We won't be able to reach the goal of completion. If you're a perfectionist, you should be overjoyed at this passage because the goal is perfection. The goal is completion. Now, you're going to be depressed because we're never going to fully experience that until the end, but that's what we're working toward. We're working toward completion, maturity, right? You you guys are raising kids. You're raising kids. You want them to grow and be mature adults, and sometimes that takes a long time, right? And some of you have have children who are older, and you're like, they still haven't reached it yet, you know, but they're out of my house, so it ain't my responsibility no more. We are each responsible for as long as we are together in this body to build one another up until we each, each of us, every single one, reaches maturity. And if you don't do your part, we won't be able to attain it. All right, so what are we called to do as a church? Big picture. Walk together toward unity. Work together toward maturity. Now, I want to take a few minutes to talk about how we're currently doing that at Trace Crossing. How are we doing that? So the next time someone asks you what you do as a church, you can connect the two. Be like, oh yeah, that's why we do that Sunday thing. Um, that's, that's why we do that Wednesday thing. Um, we do it in two ways. This is how I want to give you headings. First, through gospel-centered gatherings. All right? So how do we maintain unity? How do we pursue maturity in Christ? Through gospel-centered gatherings. We work toward unity and maturity through weekly liturgy. Okay, that word, when, when Mitch was here, we started using that word quite a bit. It's on your liturgy guide there. Um, basically just our weekly order of service. Um, every single week through our service, not just the sermon, but through every single thing we do on a Sunday morning, we seek to reenact the gospel. Reenact the gospel. That doesn't mean we're going to have a play here where we hang someone on a cross. Um, what it means is, as we walk through the service, we start with God and his glory, and then as Rory led us in a time of confession, every single week we are reminded of our sin and our need for a Savior. And then we have, we have songs, and we have messages, and we have communion, these times where we exalt the glory of Christ. And then we call one another at the end to respond. And we do it every single week. 
How do you grow as a basketball player or an athlete or a musician? You do the same thing every single week. There are differences. There are slight differences. We sing different songs. We preach different passages. We pray different prayers. But the structure remains the same because we believe in the repetition of liturgy informing us into the image of Christ. So every single week, we seek to retell and rejoice in the gospel. We want to adorn the gospel through every aspect of our service. So I changed the welcome this morning. I changed it. You know, I didn't want it to just be, you know, a logistical matter, okay? This is where we are welcomed into the family of God, and we need to maximize every single moment of our gathering to put the gospel on full display because it is through the gospel that we grow in maturity and we attain the unity of the faith because you can walk in this room and be divided with someone across the room, and we can at the same time confess this great gospel truth. So we work toward unity and maturity through weekly liturgy, and we work for unity and maturity through the means of grace. Every single week, what do we do? If you had to think about it, you just write it down on paper. What do we do every single time we gather together on Sundays? It's really simple. It's simple to the point of almost being boring, right? We sing songs, we read, we pray, we preach, we sing, we give, we go home. And we do it again next week. And we do it the week after that. But every single thing we do, from our welcome to our giving, centers on the means that God has given us to grow toward maturity. Communion. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper next week. We do it at the beginning of every single month. Baptism. Whenever we have someone to baptize, we baptize. Scripture. We read the word, we pray the word, we sing the word, and we preach the word every single week. And we are confident, we are banking on this, that by that repetition, every single week, putting before you the means of grace, that we will grow, that we will grow. And growing in maturity doesn't happen overnight, it happens over time. And we believe that by putting before you these means of grace that God has given us, that we will grow and attain the completion that he has for us. All right, so we do it through gospel-centered gatherings. We also do it through gospel-shaped community. So we work toward unity and maturity through various ministries within the church. And I'm just gonna list a few of them. So through life groups and discipleship groups, through equipping classes, through men's and women's gatherings, through kids' ministries, student ministries, and even in the nursery, okay? We need nursery volunteers tonight. Um, sorry, I don't know who said that. Um, um, an angel on high, um, In all of those ministries, we are seeking to form a community that is shaped by the gospel. The goal of every ministry of Trace Crossing is to be directly tied to the gospel for the purposes of building one another up toward unity and toward maturity. If you don't think you can grow toward maturity by serving in the nursery, try it on for size, all right? If you don't think by teaching in TC Kids or being a small group leader that you can't grow in unity with your comrades, you know, as you're trying to survive another night, then you are sorely mistaken. If you don't think that you can't make relationships with the kids that we minister to every single week and get to know their families by serving, if you don't think that by being in a life group with people, man, I don't know about this. This is awkward, uncomfortable. I don't know these people. We don't get along. Ha ha, that was a really lame dad joke he just told. I'm gonna find a, another life group where I have friends. If you don't think that you can grow in a life group with brothers and sisters who you don't have anything else in common with, 
then you don't understand the purpose and life of the local church. In all of those ministries, we're seeking to reflect the gospel. We, we rejoice in it on Sunday mornings. We reenact it on Sunday mornings. And in those life groups, in discipleship groups, in equipping classes, and as we serve one another in the various ministries of our church, we reflect the gospel. Now, life groups in particular, I just want to take a moment and emphasize them. In life groups, we seek to subjectively experience the objective reality of the church, okay? We seek to be the church and to be the culture of the church in life groups. We don't meet in life groups for the sake of friendship itself or for the sake of community itself. I can get that, I, I don't know about you, I can get that in other places in Tupelo, Okay. Like if I, I have other friends that aren't, aren't in the church and that aren't Christians even where I can go and have a common bond and we can hang out and get along. Life groups aren't for you to find a place just to get along with someone else and hang out, okay? We meet in life groups because of who we are, a redeemed yet imperfect and growing community that is called to build. Join a life group to build. In your life group, build, go to work every single time your life group meets to build one another up so that we can each grow toward greater unity and toward maturity in Christ. And here's the beautiful thing about all of our ministries, all of our ministries. The only things that we're required to do to remain a church is to have the Lord, to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to baptize one another, and to proclaim the gospel. Everything else can be changed. Okay, if we look at life groups and we're like, you know what, we actually think that we can pursue this reality in a better way. We have freedom to change that. We don't have freedom to change what we're supposed to do, though, to pursue unity. We can't say, why do we have to be unified? That doesn't matter. We, can't, we don't have the option. We don't have the option to say, well, you know, these people over here are really growing toward maturity. Let's just focus on them and leave these other people hanging out to dry. We don't have that option. We have to work until we all attain the maturity that Christ has for us. And so, as you think about all the different things that we do as a church, I want you to remember something. Remember that Jesus has purchased a people for himself that is growing into his likeness. You're not there yet. I'm not there yet. No one else in this room has arrived. So let's be humble with one another. Let's be gentle with one another. Let's be patient with one another and let's put up with one another every single week. But one day, one glorious day, this work will be complete. It'll be over. The work will be complete. One day, our sanctification will be finished, and we will not be growing anymore. We will be a holy temple of the Lord, without sin and without blemish. Until that day... I don't know when that day's coming, but until that day, would you resolve with me to walk and work together toward unity and toward maturity in Christ? As we walk and work together, remember this. Every Sunday morning matters. Every Sunday morning matters. I need you here. We need one another here together to keep growing, taking one more step in the journey. When you're not here, we miss you. Not only because we, we don't get to see you and talk with you, but because we need your presence here to continue growing toward Christ-likeness. Every life group meeting matters. Every one of them. 
Every equipping class, every student activity, every TC Kids gathering, every second in that nursery matters for the building up of God's church. And also, don't forget this. Every person here matters. Every single one of you. Every elder matters. Every deacon Every church member matters. And without each of us doing our part, we will not grow into the healthy body Christ died for us to become. So the, by the power of Christ in us, would you resolve with me? Well, let's get to work. Let me pray. Father, we need your grace. We need your grace because we are so prone to be divided sometimes over serious issues, sometimes over minor issues. But we still have sin living in our hearts and sin divides. So I pray that you would help us walk together in unity. That's gonna require humility and gentleness and patience from us. Help us to exhibit those Christ-like characteristics. And the only way for us to exhibit those Christ-like characteristics is for us to grow. Help us to grow up. Help us to build one another up. Help us to get to work and helping mature one another. Um, Father, we can't do any of that without your spirit empowering us. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would wake us up to our job description as the church, help us know what we're supposed to do, and give us the power to do it. If we're neglecting our own growth personally, we're neglecting the growth of the body corporately. So may this place be a nurturing environment where this family is built up in unity and that one day we all, every single one of us, would reach maturity in Christ and forgive us when we fail. We ask all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Stand with us as we respond to the truth preached in song.